Well, here we are. We've made it to the end. Um, I, I, I'm just sort of... Do, do you guys want to... Um, okay. You all right? Okay. People may filter in, but um, yeah. I'm just sort of turned this way, but you know, not, not to exclude the couple of people on this side of the room. Um, but we've made it to the end of Respectable Sins. This is the last uh, week of our Sunday School series. We have covered a lot of ground, and my, my thought this morning was that to our, our, our respectable sin this morning is lack of self-control, and my thought was that we would do a bit of time on that, and then a bit of time at the end, wrapping up the series as, as it was, this is the end of it, so just kind of tying it together, uh, if we have time for that as best we can. Um, but let's do just jump right in. So w- what is self-control? Self-control is mentioned um, quite a lot in the New Testament. Um, quite a lot of the New Testament writers mention self-control, and, and you typically get it in, in the, these lists of things. Uh, for, for example, in the, the Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, you see uh, self-control as being one of those. But, it, but it's mentioned many other times, and it'll be in, in these lists of things that are given. Uh, Jerry Bridges define self-control as a governance or prudent control of one's desires, cravings, impulses, emotions, and passions. It is saying no when we should say no. And it is moderation in legitimate desires and activities and absolute restraint in areas that are clearly sinful. Now my guess would be that um, some of us would would find one of those two things easier than the other. So maybe we as, as good Christians might find absolute restraint in areas that are clearly sinful a bit easier than the moderation bit. Um, but what we'll see is that, that both are actually critically important. So what is self-control? Well, it, it's war. It's, it's war. There's a, there's a daily battle. There's a battle going on for your soul. 1 Peter 2 verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now what is Peter talking about there? What what is this war that's going on? Well, we need to know that there are spiritual forces at play. Paul in Ephesians says very well when he's talking about putting on the armor of God, he's, he's, he's saying you need to know that there is a battle for your soul going on. But it, it doesn't usually look like the, the battle that we might envision. It's not two huge massive armies going at it in plain sight that we can see. It's, it's much more uh, subtle and, and secretive and, and, and thoughtful uh, than that. And it usually comes across in these pleasures that God has given to be good, but Satan twists in a way that says, oh, you can have the pleasure without God, or you can have the pleasure in a way or in an amount in which God has said is not actually good for you. That's the battle that's going on. And as soon as Satan has those inroads into your heart, then he's just drawing you away from God. And it's ultimately, it is a war because he's trying to destroy you. It's leading to your destruction. 
Bridges says, biblical self-control covers every area of life and requires an unceasing conflict with the passions of the flesh that wage war against our souls. This is a daily battle, a daily struggle. And the irony might be that just when you feel like you've won the battle and you've achieved, achieved some victory, well, well, that's exactly when you're, you're, you're all the more opened up uh, to the attacks from Satan. It's a daily battle. And then the next verse, 1 Peter 5 eight, be sober-minded. And, and sober-minded is, is also another way of saying have self-control. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So when he's saying be, be sober-minded, he's saying just, well, as my grandfather might have said, just you need some good common horse sense. You just need to think clearly about what's going on. Don't, don't be naive. Don't, don't be um, not aware of, of Satan's strategy of, of what's going on. Have sound judgment. Be sober-minded. Think about what your actions uh, are, are doing and why you have these sinful desires uh, within your flesh. So what does it look like to um, lack self-control? Well, I said imagine a toddler. And fortunately, we just had an illustration right here, uh, a, a toddler crying. Why, why was the toddler crying? Because, yeah, we have no idea specifically what, what she wanted, but she wanted something. And she wasn't just saying, oh, Mommy, could I please have, you know, whatever it was. She's, she's screaming and, and crying and, and, and yelling. You can imagine a toddler in, in a supermarket, um, you know, the worst aisle to take the toddler down, maybe the cereal aisle, or if the supermarket happens to have a toy aisle, oh, no, we turned down it by mistake, and now they're all of a sudden going nuts. Oh, can I have this? Oh, what that was? Let's look. Yeah, da, da, da. And, they're, and then they're just throwing a tantrum all of a sudden because you've said no. That's us. That's what we're doing because we lack self-control. We lack the sober judgment. And of course, we don't expect that from a toddler. We don't expect the toddler to come out with this rational thought process of, oh, mommy, on my next birthday, could you perhaps get me this? It's, it's not that. It's I, I want it now. And I'm going to scream my head off until I get what I want. And that, that's how we are. And now because we live in this, um, with this day and time where we can get what we want next day delivery usually, um, we, we just, we take it. We, we get it for ourselves and, and, and we just fulfill all of those desires. And so what's that doing to our hearts? What's that doing to our souls? Well, we're going to do a case study on a person who did exactly that. Uh, famously, King Solomon. So I'm, I'm going to turn you over to your tables now, round tables. If you'll just go through, there's four verses uh, or four passages there. And what I want you to notice is the progression of events. From, as you read from, so kind of read them in order and go from one to the next and, and notice what's happening. Um, and then discuss that around your tables for about 10 minutes or so. And I'll draw us back together. All right, guys, I'm going to just draw us back together. Um, so does anybody want to volunteer? Maybe just one, maybe two, um, kind of summarize the discussion, your discussion around your table or a thought?
shaking it. Yep. Yeah, exactly that. So I, if, you, if you didn't hear that, if you couldn't hear, um, so he's saying that the, the first verse starts out, obviously, you know, he who finds wife finds a good thing. So marriage is good. So again, we're talking about something marriage ordained, given by God. He's saying it is good. Um, but, but then what, what does Satan do? He, he wants to take the thing that, that God has created, that God has given for your good and even for your pleasure. And he wants to say, oh, well, what you have isn't good enough. You're missing out. You can have even more of this other thing. And so, well, if I have one wife, maybe if I just had 700 wives um, and 300 concubines, maybe then that would do it for me. But, but what does he say in the end? It, it's, it's all for nothing. It's all vanity. It's all... I, I kept nothing back from myself, and, and Solomon was so wealthy, he, he literally had everything his heart desired, and yet it, it was nothing. But, but the biggest problem was not, not that, not that it was left him feeling empty, but that it turned his heart away from God. So these, these pleasures that he pursued turned his heart away from God. And so that, that's what I would suggest, and I think the Bible is telling us that that's what happens to our hearts. And that's why not, not only the, the cutting off of the things that are clearly sinful, but the moderation in the things that might be good, might be given by God, but when taken in excess or when taken in, in ways or, or through means that, that God has said are sinful are, are damaging to us, destroy us, destroy the people around us, in this case, split the kingdom um, and, and had repercussions for, for Israel uh, ongoing. These are the things that happen uh, when we allow even this sort of, again, respectable sin that doesn't seem too damaging. That's what happens. Um, so a little quote by J.C. Ryle, there's no sure way to get a seared conscience and a hard heart towards the things of God than to give way to the desires of the flesh and mind. So when you give way to these sinful desires, and, and just a, a quick question, um, how, how does this jive with what the world is saying about following your desires, following your heart, um, figuring out who you are and what you want, and, and going with that, explore that, you know, be that. Don't let anybody hold you back. Don't let rules box you in. What, what the Bible is saying is, is completely antithetical to that. It, it, it's saying that be, because your flesh is sinful, even though you are a Christian, you've been, re, you've been redeemed, you've been, you've been justified, you still are holding on to this sinful flesh that, that we are becoming more and more like Christ, but we're not there completely yet. So we still have this old man, we still have these sinful desires that are trying to pull us away from God. 
And those are the things that we have to cut off and kill. Rather than follow them and we'll find complete fulfillment and, and you know, joy and all the rest. Those are the things that actually need to be cut off. Um, so a few just areas. These are the ones that, that Jay Bridges gives in the book. Um, so I'm just repeating those. These are, I just wanted you to know that. So these are not things I've observed and I thought it would be important for you to hear. Uh, just going straight from the book on these three here. He says, eating and drinking, temper, and personal finances. Uh, so just a few thoughts on each of those. E- eating and drinking, uh, again, food is, is given by God. Jesus declared all foods to be cleaned. Um, and Paul says, you know, all, all food, if you accept it with thanksgiving, giving thanks to God is fine. Um, and yet gluttony, <laughs> um, to the extreme of that, obviously a sin. Um, and so... What's your relationship with eating and drinking? Um, you know, what's your relationship to uh, maybe drinking alcohol? Are, are you, uh, do you have a line or, you know, do you drink in excess? Or uh, what's your relationship with, with food? Is it, a, is it a comfort for you? Is it a, a stress reliever? Or is it just you enjoy it so much but you can't, you can't stop? Um, or maybe the other extreme, you... you you struggle with, I'm eating too much, so I need, to, I need to not eat, and so you have something going on there. These are all ways that, that Satan is twisting and turning the, the goodness of food that God gives us for life, um, and, and he's using it against you. Uh, and so, so whatever, in whatever way that, that you might struggle with, with eating and drinking, um, just know it that, that part of that might be a self-control thing, but in whatever way it is, the power of God can help you in that, uh, and He wants you uh, to be successful in that. And then with, with temper, uh, this has to do with you know kind of flying off the handle or losing your cool or blowing your top or whatever. Um, obviously, as a parent, you know we I, we find ourselves doing this if we're honest. Um, you know there there's a there's a limit uh, there for all of us. Um, and, and, and then we just lose it. Um, so how can, we, how can we bring that to God? How can we recognize, first of all, which maybe, maybe half the battle is realizing that there is a battle going on there, that there is an issue, uh, that it's not just the way I am and kind of excusing it that way, but, but realizing that it is something that, that actually needs to be killed and corrected. And then with personal finances, um, I, I think it's I think it's easy for us, um, you know, to well in different ways. I, I guess it's easy for us to sort of place blame on maybe the government or maybe inflation or whatever the situation is, and you know I I don't have enough or um, if I if I just had that or again whatever your particular struggle with with finances might be, it, it might be that you. Um, you enjoy a little retail therapy. Um, you know, I need to go shopping either online or in a store to, to make myself feel better. Um, maybe you sort of hoard all your money and you're, you're keeping it all for yourself and you're piling it up, uh, you know, to see your bank account go up. Uh, and that is sort of a security blanket for you. Um, again, again, whatever extreme. How, how, is, your, how is your heart of giving? Um, there's a the passage in the Bible that says, let, let the thief not only stop stealing, but let him work so that he can share with other people. 
Um, and so, so that's the model that we're looking for. Not only are you not stealing, you're, you're not taking from other people, but you're actually giving and sharing to, to benefit other people. Um, so do you, do you have a principle for tithing to the church? Do you have a principle for giving or sharing? Um, do, you, do you recognize that you're actually a steward of, of these resources that you have? Um, they're not yours necessarily. They're gifts from God that he allocates to you, uh, just like in his parables, you know, the master and the servants. He says, here, I'm entrusting this to you. I'll be back uh, and we'll settle accounts. Um, so, so how are you doing with the Lord's resources? And then a few helps. Uh, one, Nick gave a, a great series on fasting. I think it was last year. Uh, if you missed that, do, do go back and, and find it on the website. Uh, but would highly recommend fasting because it teaches us the principle of not just giving everything our heart desires. And, and, and if, you've done, if you've done any sort of fasting, you know it, it is completely counter to everything your body is telling you. Um, when, normally when you're hungry, you, you eat. Or when you see something that looks nice, you know, a piece of cake or something, you, you eat it because that's what you want. And then all of a sudden, when you're when you're telling your body is saying, "I want that," and you're saying no, um, it, it's it's sort of an interesting moment there. But it's a really good principle to teach yourself uh, this moderation in this this um, this principle that God is saying, and so that we will eat the bread of life, because Christ is what we need. We don't need the food. We don't need. The, the things that we're buying. We don't need these other things. What we need is Christ. And that's, that's the, the principle um, most that we need to know. And then study. Obviously, I'm... Uh, oh, and, uh, with fasting, obviously, prayer goes along with fasting. Um, and then study, uh, you, you just have to have time in the Word. You have to soak in the Word. You have to be drawing closer to Christ. You have to hide these words in your heart that you might not sin against God. Um, because it is the word of God that will speak to you uh, in, in those moments when you need it the most. And then Christian fellowship. So fellowshipping, worshiping with other believers, um, allowing other believers to, to even speak into your life. You know, brother or sister, I've, I've noticed, you know, this. Is that a struggle? Can I help you with that? You know, really your heart in a Christian fellowship should be for your other brothers and sisters to be drawing closer to God. So are we doing that for one another? Um, or, or are we just more thinking selfishly? Uh, but, but true Christian fellowship. So I'm going to kind of wrap up lack of self-control there. Um, any questions before we move on to the next turn over the page there? Okay, and we'll just spend a few more minutes in wrapping up the series. And I just thought this might be helpful because we, we've, we've covered a lot of things. Um, just a quick list. We talked about sins of the tongue. We talked about unthankfulness, pride, selfishness, anger, judgmentalism, envy, jealousy, and now lack of self-control. Um, I, I don't know how you personally um, feel when you've you know, sat through the series or when you hear that list rattled off. Um, th- there might be a few different reactions, maybe indifference <laughs> might be one, uh, maybe, well, that's fine, you know, for you guys, uh, not really a bother to me. Um, you, you might be feeling guilty. You, you might be 
um, feeling the weight of all this because we're talking about uh, sin and, and what a terrible person you are and, and look at all these sinful things that you do. And um, So are, are, you feeling, are you feeling a weight of guilt on your shoulders for this? Maybe you're motivated to change. Maybe your, your heart is desiring to, to really um, shed yourself of all of these things. Um, so, so how are you feeling at the moment? Well, well, let's, again, just spend a few minutes sort of working through those and talking about that. Um, and the first thing I wanted to say is that doctrine is important. And w- what do I mean by doctrine is important? It, it sounds really, I don't know, academic or uh, kind of high level. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that's not for me. Maybe you know, I'm not interested in, in studying the finer points of theology. And yet it is important just on a basic level. So you need to know who is God. You need to know who am I? The doctrine of man. You need to know what is sin. That sin exists. The doctrine of sin. Doctrine of hell. Satan. That Satan exists. What is your idea that that God is the creator? That God has created you? That God has created the world? That, that you are created by God in His image. That, that matters. That, that you're different from the animals. That you're different from the trees. That you're different because you were created in God's image. What's your doctrine of man? What's your doctrine of sin? A- am I actually a sinner? A- am I a person who was born in sin? As David said, in sin my mother conceived me. Or was it... a? People are more or less naturally good, and if they just do good things, they'll be fine. That's what I think most people, even inside the church, but particularly outside the church, would say. I'm not a bad person. You know, I don't do really bad things. I try to help people. I even give to charities. I'm a good person. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the doctrine of sin that we have. So what does that mean for the way that we then have to approach sin and salvation. What, what, what are the, the ramifications of that? Um, do I have there Romans 8.29? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Well, what does that mean? It, it means that Christ died for you, died for me, died for us, not, not so that He could rescue us just the way that we are. Because the way I am, you know, is, is perfect and, and lovely. But you were the problem. You, you had to be rescued because of your sin, because of the way that you are. But He did rescue you. And so now you're no longer where you were. But as we said before, you're still living in this, this old flesh that needs to be conformed. It needs to be changed. And so that's what we're talking about with this series is the conforming, the changing, the sanctification, the growing in holiness, the becoming more like Christ. So it shouldn't be a weight of, oh, I'm such a terrible person. It's more like, oh, I, I see what I'm going to be. And that looks incredible. That's what I want. I'm running towards that. Um, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. 
Um, and so now, where do we go from here? Well, I, I say a, a better way. <laughs> well, I'm taking that from Paul at the end of um, 1 Corinthians 12. He's been talking about spiritual gifts. And the, the Corinthians were fighting over spiritual gifts. Everybody wanted the miraculous spiritual gift, the healing or the speaking in tongues. You know, the one that was really out there that showed you had the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying those things are okay. But let me show you a still more excellent way. Let me show you a better way. And then we have the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. He talks about love is patient, love is kind. Love. If I have all of these spiritual gifts, but I'm not a loving person, I'm nothing. I can have this power of the Holy Spirit. I can look like the best Christian at church. But if, I'm not, if, if my heart isn't really loving other people, if it isn't loving God, I'm nothing. And then 2 Corinthians 5 and 14, he says, For the love of Christ compels us or controls us. It moves us. Why? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. Why did he die? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Imagine... um, Maybe, uh, well, if you're married, obviously you have a loved one. Or if you're not yet married, maybe you, you can imagine that. Or maybe you've had uh, some, some love interest in your life. But when we get married, we, we have these wedding vows. And, and part of the wedding vows is, um, you know, in sickness and in health and forsaking all others. So I don't know if you said that at your wedding. Maybe I did say it at mine. I don't remember. Um, but forsaking all others. Now, now what, are, what, are you, what are you obligating yourself to? I'll never commit adultery. I'll never have another love other than you. Now, do most people go into that saying, oh, that's going to be a real drag. Like, I mean, you're great, but oh, I hope not. I hope it's not like that. It, it ought to be, I, I have found the one that I want to spend the rest of my life with I no longer care about every other person in the world. You're the one I want. It, of course, it's not like that in, in, because we're sinful, is it? Or if it starts out like that, it ends up, you know, we get, we get drawn away by the sin of our heart. But in a, in a perfect world, <laughs> that's how it should be. I, I'm forsaking all others. And, and it's joy. It's pure joy to me. Because this is the one I want. This is the one who fills my heart. And when we find Christ, because He's the one who died for us, He's the one who loves us, He's our true love, we are now compelled by the love of Christ. We're controlled by the love of Christ. And putting off sin no longer is this, oh, that's going to be really painful. I've got to give that up. It's like, let me get, let me get rid of that as quickly as I can because I have found my true love. And, and I am running towards my true love. That, that's the picture that the Bible paints for us on putting off sin. And I, I love the way it's said in Hebrews, uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
He's saying, if you want to run the race, if you're running to your true love, throw aside everything that's holding you back. That you may run all the more faster uh, to get to your true love. Because that's what Christ did for you. Christ endured the shame, endured the cross for you. And that's what we're now doing. We're enduring, we're, we're surviving in this sinful world with all of these sinful desires for our true love. Um, quick illustration from Lord of the Rings. Um, and I need to read the books at some point. If somebody has them and wants to loan them to me, I'd be glad. Uh, um, but anyway, just from the movie. Um, so w- what's happening when, when Frodo and, and, and Sam are a- approaching... Uh, Mount Doom, I think it's called, and, and they have to. What's he? He's meant to throw the ring into this lake of fire and and, and destroy it. Um, well, as they're approaching it, um, it's there's this one sentence that says, "And then he, Sam, bent his own neck and put the chain on it." So Sam is carrying it for Frodo because he couldn't carry it at that moment. I don't remember the details. Maybe you do. Not important, but Sam puts it on his own neck and at once his head was bowed to the ground with the weight of the ring as if a great stone had been strung to him. So the ring obviously represents evil and sin and Frodo has to destroy it. But when Sam carries it, he, he's like, oh, let me carry that. Ooh, it's like, oh, oh, I, I, you know. The weight of the sin is weighing him down. And, and he's, they're trying to move closer and there's all of these obstacles in their way of destroying the sin. That's, that's our life. That's our life. It's, it's like we're, we're trying to head in the right direction. But Satan is whispering these lies and he's saying, oh, this is too heavy for you. You can't carry this. You're not strong enough. He's saying, look at what a terrible person you are. You call yourself a Christian. You'll never get there. Those those are Satan's lies, but but the weight of sin is pulling us down. And and what what the Scriptures are encouraging us to do is throw down the weight. Cut off the sin. And Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Get rid of that so that you can keep running the race. Throw it down because you are compelled by your love for Christ. Now, in the last minute, you might be thinking, well, I don't feel that love for Christ. I don't feel the attraction that you're talking about. It all sounds really good, but that's not my daily experience. Well, we're just back to the basic, boring sort of meat and potatoes of the Christian life. And that is spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, and spending time in corporate fellowship with other believers. This is where you get the desire, the passion, the love. It's from reading God's Word. It's from being with God's people. It's from praying to God and confessing your sin to God and allowing the power of God to put aside all those things. You don't do it in your own strength. See, that's, that's the amazing thing is that Christ is doing it. Paul says you've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's working in you. You are working, but it's actually God working. 
So you're doing it. It feels like I have to do it all. But then when you confess and you say, God, be with me, fill me with your spirit, help me. He's doing it. He's doing it. And so that that removes the guilt, that removes the burden, that removes the weight of the sin when we say, God, do this. And yet we are daily in his word, daily praying, daily being renewed by the power of the spirit to throw off the weight of this sin. And then lastly, Henry Scogel, the worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. The greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. These sum up all of the law and the prophets. It's just love. Love God, love people. That love comes from God through a changed heart and is renewed daily as you battle sin so that you can love all the more. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that that You are using it to kill this sin in our life, these weights that, that bring us down, that keep us from running our race toward You. Father, we pray that You would give us the endurance, the perseverance, the courage to kill sin in our life. Father, we pray that You would give us the boldness to even declare to You and to other people that we We are actually sinners. And only then can we be healed by Christ. Father, we pray that you would be with us as we do this. For your name's sake, for your glory. Because you are the one who makes it all possible. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.